rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times, in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, it's Callum McDonald here, back with you again as we look back at some of the year's most remarkable moments. There are so many to choose from. It's been a year of highs and lows, as always. Some of those really intensified because of what is going on in the UK and around the world, health-wise. I feel like I can't say the C-word two episodes in a row, can I? If you were here yesterday, you'll know what I was talking about. Scroll back and listen if you weren't. In any case, do you remember the summer? Do you remember when the weather was warm? Do you remember when we could go outside in shorts and t-shirt and sunglasses and embrace that vitamin D? Do you remember the Euros? Do you remember Sweet Caroline? I mean, I personally don't. I remember Flower of Scotland very, very fondly, though. That was a moment. We want to take you back to July, where at the centre of England's hopes was one man, Gareth Southgate. Could he even have been called Man of the Year after he led the team to the Euros final against Italy? Mm. He's got a tough competition from Steve Clark, in my view. It's been a difficult few years. Brexit, Black Lives Matter, an unfolding culture war and a pandemic. At times, this country has felt alarmingly divided. But now, there's something we can all agree on. It's coming home. I'm aware of the responsibility that the role comes with. Um, And we've got to get people smiling again. For many, England's success was not only a tribute to a remarkable team, but also a remarkable manager. So the standards of leaders in this country in the last couple of years has been poor. And looking at that man there, that's everything a leader should be. Respectful, humble, tells the truth, genuine. He's fantastic, Gareth Southgate. He really is unbelievable and done a great job. How sweet is that ball? You better believe it. England are in a major final for the first time since 1966. Never known an England team that unified everybody in the country as much as this lot. They're they're faultless, flawless in the way in which they go about things. We should be really proud of them and our manager. This is a team, you know what, actually this is not a team, this is a family. They're all together. We want to create memories for uh, our nation and um, I said the other day, the young ones think it's always like this. I've just had to tell Saka and Bellingham it doesn't normally work like this. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Gareth Southgate. It's more than just football. It's... A chance to affect other things that are even bigger. I'm in a city in the southeast of France called Valence. I've been following the Tour de France for the last two and a bit weeks now. And this year's race has been off the charts interesting. Chief sports writer for the Sunday Times, David Walsh, might be out of the country following another major sporting event. 
but he's been keeping an eye on the Euros. I'm able to watch all of the games, and mostly that's what I would be doing if I were at home. Despite his own national allegiances, David has a soft spot for the England football team. I'm Irish born and raised, and we didn't grow up supporting England, as you could imagine, Manveen. But from the moment that Gareth Southgate became manager of England, I almost passionately want England to do well. I was lucky enough to get to know Gareth a long time ago. We've remained you know, in contact, a friendship of sorts, I suppose you would say. But I'm a huge <laughs> admirer of the man, and I really do want England to be successful because I believe that Gareth Southgate deserves it. So when did this friendship of sorts begin? I think it was maybe the summer of 2001. I got a call from an agent that worked with Gareth, a guy called Ashley Wolfe. And he says, Gareth Southgate's thinking of writing a book, but it's going to be a book with a difference. And we think that you'd be able to do a good job on this book. I didn't know Gareth very well at the time. I mean, he was an England player. He played for Middlesbrough. But I went to a hotel, I think it was the Selsden Park, um, south of London. And Gareth's idea was that he was going to write a book, but he wanted the book to be 50% about him and 50% about his best friend, Andy Woodman, who was also a professional footballer. But Andy worked very much in the lower leagues. I mean, if Mm. I was guessing at the time, Andy would have earned about £50,000 a year playing football. Gareth at the time might have been earning about 50000 a week. And Gareth thought... If people want me to write a book, it's because I've played for England many times. I've been playing in the Premier League. But really, football is more than the Premier League. There are people eking out a living at much lower levels, and it's not easy and it's not glamorous. So Gareth saw the book as an opportunity to tell the story of the Premier League, but also a league much further down. He also saw it as an opportunity to put some money into his best friend's account. Because Andy Mm. Woodman is not going to be invited to write a book. That's such a a decent, thoughtful thing to do, you know, to give his friend a voice and highlight parts of the game that don't normally get much attention. How did the deal with the book work, though? Because you're a professional, you think, well, obviously, Gareth is getting a good advance on the basis that he's an England international. Andy Woodman, he wants to cut in on the deal just to help Andy. And I'm going to be the ghostwriter. Well, we sit down and Gareth, of course, takes control in a very understated way. And he said, the publishers have offered 150,000 advance. And I think it's really simple in that we divide it three ways. Wow. I literally felt like I was going to fall off the chair. I looked at Andy Woodman and waited for him to say something because I didn't know what to say. And the reason I didn't know what to say was I would have expected that a fair fee for me as a ghostwriter might have been 20, 25,000 maximum. Now, Gareth was offering minimum of twice what I'd expected. And I was completely shocked by his generosity. Premier League footballers, like the highest earning rugby players, like the highest earning tennis players, they don't get money for their autobiography and then pass it on to other people. What he did was very singular and something that is extremely uncommon. And the generous financial split wasn't the only surprise for David while they worked on the book. On the night before it was due to go to the publishers, just as they were on deadline, Gareth Southgate suddenly thought of another chapter about one of his former colleagues that he was desperate to include. 
I said, the only way we could get an extra chapter into the book is if you start writing it on your laptop now before you go to bed and have it in my inbox at seven o'clock in the morning. I'll get it off to the publisher at seven o'clock the next morning. I look and there's 2000 words in my inbox. It's the best chapter in the book. It didn't need any editing. It didn't need anything. It appeared exactly as he wrote it. That chapter began, Manvin. He went without saying goodbye. Alan Boxic, Croatia's finest. One day he was there, tall, aloof, unconcerned. The next day, gone. There were rumours about a move to Spurs, another about an injury that could keep him out for some time. We were his teammates. How would we know? What did Middlesbrough mean to him? Was there sadness for him in leaving? To whom did he say goodbye? From his yacht on the Dalmatian coast, will he follow Burroughs' results? Now, is that not brilliant or what? That is. But also, David, I am amazed that even now you can recite the opening of that chapter. Oh, I, I've, I've, I've read and reread that chapter so many times because it's just a brilliant piece of writing. The point I suppose I'm making, Manveen, is that, is that Gareth is an extremely intelligent guy with a fantastic ability to kind of think and to express himself and to see the bigger picture. And it just tells you about Gareth's quality. He would have stayed up writing that at half two, three o'clock in the morning, at the very least, I mean, when you're the writer, right, and there's, there's one part you don't write, and that's the best part in the book, it's pretty humbling. It's interesting, the qualities that you highlight there, you know, the work ethic, but also the intelligence. It feels like that hasn't always been an easy combination in the world of football. Take me back to his days at Crystal Palace. Gareth turned up at Crystal Palace at 15, going on 16. He'd come from quite a middle-class background. His dad, Clive, was a, a manager for IBM. He lived in Crawley. He spoke well. He dressed well. But he went to a club, Crystal Palace, that was full of diversity, tough South London kids there who knew their way around the world. When he was maybe 19 or 20 years of age, he was the reserve team fullback. Gareth thought he should have been in the team. But one day Gareth heard Crystal Palace's manager, Steve Koppel, having a conversation with the experienced striker, Mark Bright. They called Gareth Southgate Gate. Do you know Gate has eight O-levels? Gareth is overhearing this conversation. Mark Bride said, yeah, but can he fucking play? And that's been the thing that Gareth has had. Because he always seemed like a bright lad and because he was well-spoken and because he was never going to appear on the front page of any tabloid, Mm. there was a kind of doubt about whether he would be able to hack it in a game as tough and as physically challenging as the Premier League. And of course, Gareth was easily good enough and would go on to play 57 times for England. Has he almost been held back in his early football career, at least, because of his intellectual qualities? I do think that Gareth has suffered through the years from what I would say is there was almost a distrust in English football of people who were obviously intelligent and smart and well-spoken. Now that he's the England manager and he's the one making the decisions, is that slightly anti-intellectual culture something he's trying to change? He wants the players to see themselves as intelligent young men and to ask questions and not to accept 
what the coach is saying. That's the culture that Gareth would always be trying to change. It's never just talk with Gareth Southgate. What he says he means and what he says he puts into action. And David, have you stayed in touch as he's become England manager and suddenly become one of the most talked about men in the country? From the moment the book was done, we've never been out of touch. He's just a very good guy. What I've loved about Gareth Southgate is that he's incredibly strong when it comes to his convictions. If we go back to Russia three years ago, England are at the World Cup. Some England players are being racially abused when playing, certainly in Eastern Europe, it happens. And people in England are very upset that England players should be subjected to racial abuse. And it's absolutely right that they are upset. And Gareth is asked about it. And Gareth says, I don't think we should just talk about racism in Russia. You know, we've got to get our own house in order. There's still things going on in our own country that aren't correct around racism. And of course, that's not really what English people like to hear, to be reminded that this is a problem we have on our own doorstep. But Gareth is too honest and too principled to ignore that and pretend it's just a problem we encounter when we're away from England. And Gareth got into conversations with his players, and it was a pretty young team, players from many different um, backgrounds. And Gareth encouraged them if they felt they were being subjected to racist abuse that was wrong, to speak up about it, not to just accept it. And in Russia, three years ago, he gave an interview to Gabriel Clark, the ITV sports broadcaster. And in the interview, Gabriel Clark asked Gareth about the connection between his England team and the public. And Clark suggested that it was the best since Terry Venable's side in 1996 that Gareth famously played on. And Gareth said, We have the chance to affect something bigger than ourselves. We're a team with our diversity and with our youth that represent modern England. In England, we've spent a bit of time being a bit lost as to what our modern identity is. And I think as a team, we represent that modern identity. And hopefully people can connect with us. And Gabriel Clark, you could almost feel his shock that an England manager would speak about England's identity and diversity. And Gabriel said to Gareth, you're saying this is more than football. And, and Gareth said, yes. Of course, first and foremost, I'll be judged on the football results. But you have a, a chance to affect other things that are even bigger. And I just thought, wow. If I'd never met Gareth Southgate or I'd never spent a moment in his company, or I'd never spoken to him for more than 10 seconds, I would have loved that guy. For saying to the young England players, you are bright, you are modern England, you must have the confidence to go out there and express yourselves as you see fit. And that's the way all the journalists would tell you, that since Gareth has taken over, the England players have been outstanding. And we saw the, the resolve of the team in relation to their decision as a group to take the knee before games. And they were being booed by some small section of the England fans. It's not something on behalf of our black players that I, that I wanted to hear because it feels as though it's a criticism of them. I think we have got a situation where some people seem to think it's a political stand that they don't agree with. 
Um, that's not the reason that the players are doing it. We're supporting each other. And it was clear a lot of English fans didn't like the players taking the knee. Their fans were associating it with political statements and they weren't comfortable with that. And Gareth and the England players talked about it. And their view was, well, if we have players in our squad who are being racially abused because they've missed a penalty or they've had a bad game, that's completely unacceptable. And we reserve the right to protest about that. And we're not going to be bullied into silence. And I think it's created a tremendous unity within the team. And and I think maybe the greatest achievement of all is that these young guys love playing for England. And that might sound like, well, any player is going to love playing for his country. Gareth is bright enough to realise that unless the culture within the team is inclusive and that people leave their club loyalties at the door before they join up, unless that happens, England are not going to be any good. And now, they really are good. But for Gareth Southgate, how much of England's current success has been forged by historic failure? We'll have more in just a moment. But first... Hi, I'm Emily Dugan, Social Affairs Correspondent at The Sunday Times. It's you, listeners and subscribers, who enable me to investigate. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. If you subscribe today, you can enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In the course of a fortnight, England have beat Germany and won a semi-final. Challenges that history had taught us to fear. But would any of that success have been possible if it wasn't for an earlier failure? Let me take you back, as painful as it might be, to the Euros in 1996. England were playing Germany. So we go into sudden death penalties. Well, he's only just recently forced his way into the England side, Southgate. Model, they call him, at uh, model at uh, Aston Villa. He does everything right. Well, let's hope he can do this right as well. 
I didn't know Gareth at the time, but I felt really sorry for him because he was a centre-back. I don't know if he'd ever taken a penalty in his life. I think he had maybe taken one as a schoolboy, but he'd never taken one in professional football. And of course, you knew the reason that Gareth had to take that penalty was because other players didn't feel comfortable with the responsibility. Is it true he volunteered to do it? Yes, it is, because he couldn't say no. If you were to go back to talk to his teammates, now Alan Shearer and all that class of 96, and ask them what they kind of felt about Gareth after that night, they would have had nothing but admiration because Gareth stepped up, took the responsibility, penalty was saved, and of course, Gareth became the kind of national villain. And it is a bit absurd that one man should be blamed. I I never felt anger, actually. I just felt regret, remorse, um, responsibility to a small degree that still lives with me. To have failed under pressure, under that huge spotlight, is hard professionally to take. And there's no doubt that it has been a, a part of Gareth's life. I remember him telling me that it's always there and people will always remember it. He talked about one time walking into a hotel in Middlesbrough before a game when he was at the end of his career. And this was maybe 10 years after he'd missed that penalty. And he said, on the corner of his eye, he caught this gentleman standing at the bar with his wife. And Gareth heard him say to his wife, there's Southgate, the guy that missed the penalty. Ouch. Yeah. And this was 10 years later. Gareth is a bright guy, right? He understands that football isn't actually the be-all and end-all of life. When you've messed things up as I have, and you realise that professionally that's probably as difficult as you're going to face, it almost liberates you to say, right, okay, let's just attack life. I remember at one point he said to me, and it was quite unusual because he was still an England player at the time, although coming towards the end of his career, and he said, I've always had a feeling that I'm not going to be fulfilled as a player but I will be fulfilled as a manager. And I thought it was an unusual thing to say, but perhaps it was the kind of thing that a bright man would say. He could see a vision for himself where he would get what he wanted, but not in that playing capacity that he'd originally wanted. He's certainly been a very successful England manager and he has done a huge amount in terms of changing the perception of the England team. I mean, there is a sense that he would, if he was to walk into a hotel now, people wouldn't be talking about the penalty. They'd be saying, that's Gareth Southgate, England manager. So he has rewritten history in that sense. Absolutely. I remember not so very long ago when England fans would go away to a tournament and bad behaviour would happen. The eyes of Europe are on France. An entire continent is coming together. And these are our unwitting ambassadors. I remember coming back after those tournaments and meeting lots of English people who were disgusted by what happened. What they were saying to you was, it's awful to feel that people think this is England, that this is what we're like. And I remember, you know, as an Irishman, feeling sorry for English people, feeling that the image of the country, as it was being portrayed by bad behaviour from footballers, was clouding outsiders, foreigners' view of England. And now I think 
around the world, people are looking at the England team doing well. They're listening to the interviews afterwards. They're seeing the behaviour on the pitch. They're seeing things that are very different to the way it once was. And it's ridiculous that uh, the perception of a country should relate to how its football team plays. A country is far greater than its football team. But football is a global game and it does influence people's perception of countries. Well, I want to talk about that because it's interesting that you say in interviews, he very early on almost set out that this is what he wanted to do. You know, he wanted people to be able to look at the England football team and get a sense of the society that we are now. We're a team with our diversity and with our youth that represent modern England. How has he changed the way England is perceived? A traditional kind of accusation against the England football team in the past was that they were arrogant. Their press, and I'm part of that, hyped the England team up. And the team rarely delivered anywhere near the expectation level. And that was because they thought they were better than they are. And basically, they were arrogant. And it's very easy to dislike people that you perceive as arrogant. And England, I believe, were disliked in part on that basis. And Gareth has come along and he is unfailingly humble in the way he responds to victory. We knew it wouldn't be straightforward. The the game the other night in Rome was so straightforward and we said to the players, we're going to have to at some point show resilience and come back from some setbacks and we did that tonight gracious in the way he's responded to defeat. As we reflect over the next few days, there will, of course, be um, a lot more positives. But tonight is so difficult for everybody to take. We're so close to, um, you know, what, what, what was, almost, was almost unimaginable at the start. And he's always respectful of every opposition and every culture and kind of just basic decency. He has definitely passed on to his playing group. We see it from the way they play. They work very hard, they fight for victory, but they do so in a way that people can easily identify with and say, you know what, this is a bit different. There are very few reasons for disliking this England team. Even if you want to, you'll find it hard to come up with reasons too. And I think Gareth has led that. Look, if we can play a part in the country getting back its energy, its enthusiasm for life, its enjoyment, you know, the... The whole family sit and watch them. We all go through that roller coaster, and I think we're ready for that. He's changed the way we're seen abroad. How has he changed the way we look at ourselves as a society? I mean, you talked about sort of taking the knee. We've seen quite a bit of activism from players like Marcus Rashford. How much has he influenced that? And in particular, with taking the knee, I mean, he not only supported his players doing it, he wrote an essay about it, which is highly unusual in the world of football. Yes, it is. What did you think when you read it? I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was great. I I love the line in it, we're not prepared to stick to the football. That, to me, was the line that jumped out from that piece. Because there is a thing, it's like, you're a football manager. Don't get involved in any of that other peripheral stuff, the kind of politics that diversity issues. Your job is to win football matches. And your job isn't to help young men find themselves and be more confident in their identity and being fearless in expressing stuff that's important to them that may not relate actually to football, but might relate to how they're treated as people of colour. I think you have to put yourself in the shoes of a young England player about to represent his country 
And because we're all trying to support, move for equality, move for um, supporting our own teammates, some of the experiences they have been through in their lives. Um, some people decide to boo. I think those people should put themselves in the shoes of those young players and how that must feel. I remember when Gareth came into the job, it was before the World Cup in 2018, an English player, Danny Rose, gave an interview in which he said that his mum was walking down a street and she was racially abused and it really upset him. And I could see from what Gareth said afterwards that Gareth was really upset by it as well. Mm. But what Gareth would have said to Danny Rose is, when you give interviews, talk about it. Talk about how upset you were. Talk about how distressing it was for your mum. Don't run away from it. People need to realise that, that everything in this country isn't wonderful and that we need to get better. We need to accept people who are not like us better than we do. And Gareth has always been fearless in saying and in implementing or, or, or creating a culture where the players felt they were entitled to make their protests. I would argue that empathy he feels with the England players, I believe from knowing the guy, that that's more genuine than any of the relationships I've ever seen with any football manager or any coach in a team sport that I've ever seen. Coaches, generally speaking, build relationships with players to get the best out of those players. And when their best is no longer good enough, you realise that the relationship wasn't really all it was cracked up to be. Now, I believe that with Southgate, the relationships he has with his players transcend the traditional coach-player relationship in that there is something deeper happening here. And I believe that long after Gareth Southgate has stopped managing England and long after many of these players have gone on into retirement that there will be a bond between them based on what they're going through now. We feel that more than ever, determined to take the knee through this tournament, we accept that there might be an adverse reaction and we're, we're just going to ignore that and move forward. I think the players are, are, are sick of talking about the consequences of should they, shouldn't they. They've had enough, really. He's saying to the players, what do you want to do? I'm not the one getting racially abused, although I believe what you guys are being subjected to is appalling and it disgusts me. But I'm not the one being got at, so tell me how you feel. And clearly the players have said, well, we feel it's completely unacceptable and we're not prepared to ignore it. And Gareth would then be saying, you mustn't ignore it. You must stand against it and you must be strong. He's a very principled character. I mean, he's polite, he's incredibly well-mannered, that's the way he was brought up. But that doesn't mean he's a guy who avoids difficult issues. And David, in this country, we've often seen that football has such a huge influence. You know, it can change fashions or hairstyles, it can even make waistcoats a thing again. With the values that Gareth Southgate and his team now stand for, can they change us as a country? I believe he can. I really do believe he can. But it's not easy. But I do believe that he can change the country because football is such a dominant sport that if the England team is not espousing the right values, if the fans are not behaving properly, 
it affects how people feel about their own country. It shouldn't in a way, but it does. And right now, the amount of people who look at Gareth Southgate and say, I like the fact that he's representing me. The amount of people saying that and feeling that, in my view, is huge. And that's why it's such an important thing, that Gareth is representing the country, his team is representing the country, and they're representing it in a way that makes people feel okay about themselves and okay about the country. I think we've had three memorable games on the bounce now. We said... Um, we want to create memories for uh, our nation and um, I said the other day the young ones think it's always like this I've just had to tell Saka and Bellingham it doesn't normally work like this we're in a final we've got to enjoy that fact but there's one more one more massive hurdle to try and uh, conquer You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Sunday Times chief sports writer, David Walsh. You can read more of David's work at thetimes.co.uk, and he'll be writing about Gareth Southgate in the paper this Sunday. The producers today were Will Rowe, Oliver Adamson, and Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you'd like to get in touch with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then do send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>